Praise God. We are preaching on the millennial reign of Christ. Millennial is just a Latin word for 1,000 years. And um, we're excited about what God is doing. We're, we're in the book of Ezekiel tonight, and I'm going to be talking about some of the things in the last eight chapters tonight in the book of Ezekiel. And if you're like me, reading Ezekiel is not the top of your list thing to do. It's not the easiest book in the Bible to read and understand and to, to uh, interpret. But there is one thing incredible about the prophet Ezekiel. He is so detailed in the last temple that will be on planet earth before the coming of the holy city Jerusalem down to earth in which there'll be there no temple at all and the lamb will be the light thereof. So we're looking at uh, Ezekiel's temple tonight. That's what we're talking about, Ezekiel's temple. And uh, hopefully when we're done, we can make some good sense out of what is being shared. And you can walk out of this auditorium saying, okay, wow, God truly has an incredible plan for the future. Amen. And he does. God's busy. God's working. God has a plan. And um, I'm thankful that he does have a plan. Even when I don't have a plan, God has a plan. Amen. So we're going to be reading out of the 43rd chapter of Ezekiel, the first five verses. Let's stand for the reading of Ezekiel 43, the first five verses. And I'll give you somewhat of an introduction as we get started. It's easy to find. The book, as I said, is you got... Jeremiah, Lamentations, then Ezekiel, and then the book of Daniel. How many ever heard of the phrase Ezekiel's temple? Anybody? A few people. And the reason you've heard of it is because it's real. Look at verse 1 of Ezekiel 43. Afterward, he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. That, uh, let me give you a little information. That's the east gate. That's the east gate. That's where the sun rises and hits it. I mean, that's the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 3. That's the east gate. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. Remember, as lightning shines from the, west, from the east to the west, so cometh the, the Lord. And his voice was like the noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory. Woo! Right there, I want to shout. The earth shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision I saw when I came to destroy the city. The vision where, like the vision that I saw by the river Chebar, by the way, this is in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, I fell upon my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the east gate, the gate, whose prospect is toward the east. So the Spirit took me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Wow. That is, I mean, that was worth coming to church just to hear that read. 
Awesome. I want to use for a subject tonight, Ezekiel's temple. You may be seated. We're going to talk somewhat about this in length, not long sermon, but in detail. I want to begin by saying that the Ezekiel's temple is the millennial temple, and it will be the fourth temple that is recorded in your Bible. Now, you think of the first temple, that's Solomon's temple. Now, I realize there was a tabernacle in the wilderness, and the tabernacle was a living, breathing place where holy God resided in the wilderness. And, and you say, well, how do you say living, breathing? Because when the wind would hit that, that, that tent, that tabernacle, whoo, whoo, and that's all we are is airbags. Amen? And God is trying to say in that tabernacle in the wilderness, I'm going to get inside man. And I'm going to be powerful inside man. And eventually, I'm going to get in their tabernacle of flesh. And he did to the person of Jesus Christ. And he does to the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. So that's the tabernacle in the wilderness. By the way, it was the size of a football field. Then comes so, uh, Solomon's temple. David wanted to build it. David saved something like 3,700 tons of gold. He furnished every piece of material to build the temple. The reason he furnished it and didn't build it because God wouldn't let him. God told him, you cannot build me a temple because you're a man of war. You're a man of bloodshed. And so... God gave David something better. When David said, I want to build you a house, God, God says, David, no. I'm going to build you a house. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I'm not going to use the blood you shed. I'm going to use the blood I shed. Come on. Y'all have got excited by now. Take a nitroglycerin pill and stay with me. Amen. And so the first temple was a permanent structure. By that, it didn't move to the wilderness. It was in Jerusalem. Solomon's temple. And Solomon built it with the material that his father provided. It was incredible, extravagant, overlaid with gold and silver, it was breathtaking. It was an amazing temple. In fact, it was so amazing that the children of Israel did not believe that God would judge them because God would never let that magnificent temple be destroyed. But God did. And God allowed the Babylonians to come down, Nebuchadnezzar, and destroyed the temple of Solomon. And it was done away, laid waste. That's the first temple, permanent structure. They were taken 70 years into Babylonian captivity, the children of Israel. And at the end of 70 years, Cyrus the king gave them permission to go back, the Jews to back to build their temple. And they built the second temple, and it's called Zerubbabel's temple. Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. Now, you're, now we're all pronouncing it wrong. But that was the second temple. 
And it wasn't as big as Solomon's. It was smaller. It didn't have the extravagance as the other. That's the second temple. And then there's Herod's temple, and it's the same temple as Zerubbabel's. Herod tried to steal it. Herod tried to give it a facelift, do some remodeling, and he changed Zerubbabel's temple into Herod's temple, Herod the Great. Same temple, second temple. There's coming a third temple, and it's not here yet because Israel has no temple now because their temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Roman Titus after Jesus died on the cross, buried, rose again from the dead, 33 years or 30 years so, 34, 36 years later, Titus the Roman destroyed the temple utterly and overturned every stone and totally destroyed it and scattered the people of Israel around the world. Since that day, there has not been no temple in Israel, period. In fact, Israel was not even considered a people. Did you know they have maps in the Middle East where Israel's not on the map? Because the, the anger and the resentment by the Muslims refused, and many of the uh, Arabs refused to put Israel on the map because they refused to accept their existence. And so today, Israel is a state. We'll mention that, a nation. We'll mention that later on in the sermon. But they still have no temple. The Muslims have a dome. Actually, they have two domes. They have a little dome, big dome. Dome, 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 dome. And they call it a holy place. Because they believe Muhammad, Muhammad his, his horse flew up into heaven from that holy place. I have one word to say. Nonsense. But the Jewish people really want a temple. And they want it so bad that according to the scriptures, Jesus Christ said that there'll have to be a temple because there's going to be an abomination of desolation in Matthew 24 that's going to come. And you can't have an abomination of desolation in the temple if there ain't one. I know that's not good English. If there isn't one. And so there has to be a temple built, and there will be one built, whether it'll be built before the rapture, whether it'll be built during the tribulation, I don't know, but it will be built. And the Antichrist will claim to be the Messiah, and he will sit in the temple, and the abomination of desolation, probably put up an idol in it. He'll order the world to worship him, and at that point in mid-tribulation, the whole world, well, Israel at least, will turn and run from him because it is the abomination of desolation that Jesus had run. And the Jewish people run to what I believe probably is Petra, and there they're spared for three and a half years. And Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of the Great Tribulation. He's going to set his foot down on the Mount of Olives, probably the same place he ejected up from. His footprint's going to touch that part, and the earthquake's going to take place, and it's going to be a megaton, uh, neutron, uh, welcome Jesus, like you would say at Walmart. The, door, the doors will just open up automatically. There'll be a great earthquake, and the whole city of Jerusalem will collapse 
A valley will be made. You say, where do you get this? Well, you, if you've been coming in Ezekiel, uh, not Ezekiel, Zechariah, you know that I talked about that in the 14th chapter of Zechariah. And the Bible says that the mountains will be lifted up high. There'll be a, a topographical a landmark change. You say, well, I don't believe God will do that. How many know that God made everything out there as it is? I mean, it's not going to be a problem to, for God to make a mountain erupt in the same place his son stood on. Mount of all, it's going to become the highest place in the Middle East. And on top of that mountain will be the temple of God, Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple will be, and by the way, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go into detail, but Jesus goes through conquering and conquering, and then when he returns back, he goes back to the, the temple, and he sits down, and there's a coronation day for King David and Jesus. Jesus will be king of the world, rule the whole world. Israel will be superpower, and David, King David will get another chance at vice president. I'll show you those verses later on if I have time. But it is an amazing study when you think about Ezekiel's temple. How big is Ezekiel's temple? Well, the best I can figure out, it is over a mile square. Over a mile. Over a mile square. Over a mile to the east, over a mile to the west, over a mile to the north, over a mile to the south, and probably a mile high. On top of the mountain. That is an incredible temple. And that's the temple we're talking about. And the land around that temple, I think it's 57, 58 miles long and something like 37 miles wide. That's pretty awesome. You say, well, there ain't that much room in Jerusalem. Expansion. The prophet spoke of an expansion. There's going to be an expansion. God promised Israel the land. And it goes way past the great river Euphrates. It goes way down past Egypt. God promised the land to Abraham. And Israel will possess the land in the future. How do I know there's a millennial reign? Because that's never happened before. And God's not a liar. Well, that's just symbolic. You know, we just, you know we'll symbolize that. Well, you, you've got to understand that in the 40th chapter of Ezekiel, the 41st chapter and the 42nd chapter is the dimensions and the measurements of the temple. And they are so detailed that there is no way possible that you can say that's just a symbol or that's just a spiritual sign. It's too detailed. It is a literal temple made out of literal material. And God is literally going to come and reign on earth for a thousand years. That's literal. It's not, not, not spiritual, not, not symbolic. It is literally going to happen. Now, let me start with the first point, and I believe Joel has it here. The last 13 chapters are about the end time in Ezekiel. The last 13 chapters are about the end time. And if you've been listening to the minor prophets and we've been preaching through all the minor prophets and through the prophets, you ought to be able to 
discern when, what is then, what was going to be uh, current, and what will happen in the near future. But there's 13 chapters, and they're about the end time, the last 13 chapters of Ezekiel. Chapter 36 and 37 is the return of Israel to the land. It is God bringing Israel and gathering them back to the land. That happened in 1948, and Israel became a nation. In chapter 38 and 39, Ezekiel alludes to the battles and poem battles climaxing into the battle of Armageddon and the great tribulation. In chapter 40 through 8, we see the millennial reign of Christ. Now, let me just go some places tonight, help you understand. And of course, I guess one of my best apologetics concerning the temple being real is because none of this has ever happened before. There's never been a temple as big as the millennial temple, as big as Ezekiel's. And you can't symbolize it or you can't um, uh, make it spiritualistic simply because it's just too detailed. Just too detailed. And you need to understand that if Jesus Christ is not permitted, and by the way, he, he carries the permits. But if Jesus Christ is not permitted to return and reign on the earth for a thousand years as King of kings and Lord of lords, then a promise to God's own son was never kept. And it will be kept. Boy, you ought to be getting happy now. King Jesus. Amen? That'll be the Democrat or Republican any day. Bunch of swindlers. Politicians, two words. Poly meaning many and politic meaning bloodsuckers. Many bloodsuckers. Harry Truman said, if you go into politics poor and you come out rich, you're a thief. Go get them, Harry. Amen. Well, chapter 40 through 48 is the millennial reign of Christ. And so in chapter 43, we see God coming back in his glory to the temple. Now, in the 10th chapter of Ezekiel, verse 18, and you can go with me there if you'd like to, Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. And by the way, Ezekiel chapter 10 is the picture of the cherubs and the one that had the face of a flying eagle and the wheel in the wheel and the vision of, of the glory of God coming, the big cloud and the pillar of fire and all that. And, and, and that's at the brook uh, uh, Chabar. And, and there uh, Ezekiel sees that. And so in this 10th chapter, Ezekiel sees the glory of God leave the temple. He sees God vacate the temple. He sees God leave. His glory leaves the temple. That's what he sees in this chapter 10. Verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house that stood over the cherubims. That's the Ark of the Covenant. So Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord leave the temple. He saw the glory of God depart the temple collapse, 
Solomon's temple collapsed and the children of Israel taken into Babylonian captivity. He saw the scattering of the, of the Jewish people to the nations. What's beautiful is God lets Ezekiel not only see the departure of the glory, but here in chapter 43, Ezekiel sees the coming of the glory. He sees the temple built, made in, in perfect measurements. The temple is built and made, and he sees just like chapter 10, only God ain't leaving, God's coming. And Ezekiel sees these cherubims, these mighty angels, and he sees them come swooping down the pillar of fire, and, and, and God is coming, and God moves across the Kedron Valley, across the Valley of Megiddo. He moves into the place, and God steps in the temple of that great temple of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel got to see that. That's in the millennium, by the way. That's the start of the millennium. See, he's already separated the sheep from the goats in Matthew 25, and he's already chosen the nations and the people that would get to stay there in the kingdom of Jesus for that thousand years. Now, I don't know about you, but I've already said enough to make me very happy. I'm very stirred. It is in the 40th chapter, 40, 41, and 42, where you have detailed measurements. And if you really want to be bored, read chapter 40, 41, and 42, because you're reading the blueprints of Ezekiel's temple. And there's nothing more boring than to read blueprints. I remember when I was in school, they wanted to teach me to read blueprints. I said, just kill me. Just shoot me now. It's boring unless it's your house being built. And it's boring unless you're trying to make a living at it. And even if you're trying to make a living at it, it's a hard job. Go by the blueprint. And most carpenters I know don't go by the blueprint. That's why they don't do as good a job as they should. Amen. Then they get real good and they don't have to go by the blueprint but it always ends up with something not matching. Amen. That's, I, I should have got a loud amen right over here at this carpenter corner. Now, the blueprint is so detailed that a man comes to Ezekiel in that 40th chapter, and he's a brass man. He's a man made of bronze. He comes down with a measuring rod, and he starts measuring the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but if a man shows up and he's bronze or brass, and he's got a tape measure, I'll write down whatever he tells me to write down. Now, someone said, well, what would this brass man be? Probably an angel. Probably an angelic being that came down and measured the temple and told Ezekiel what to write down. And it was so precise that the temple be became so huge, so incredibly powerful that it was a beautiful, beautiful temple that you'll find in these last eight chapters of Ezekiel. So, got the millennial temple. Now, let me share as we come to a a, a different turn, corner turning. The last nine chapters divides into three sections. 
The last nine chapters of Ezekiel divides into three sections. And we've already mentioned chapter 40, 41, and 42. That is the description and the measurements of the temple. In chapter 43, this is the second division or section. Chapter 43 and 44 is the worship in the temple. And then chapter 45 through 48 is the land around the temple. Now let me give you a little bit of homework. Hate homework, but let me give you some homework. Because I can't cover this all tonight. I'd like for you to take some time this week or tomorrow or whenever you've got time. And I want, I'd like for you to just digest as much of the last 13 chapters of Ezekiel as you can possibly grab. Grab as much as you can because we'll be back here to visit this later on. And I'd like for you to grab everything you can because it is an amazing uh, 13 chapters. Ezekiel's temple. And someone said, well, why is there going to be an an Ezekiel temple? Why is there going to be a fourth temple? The third one was the Antichrist, and it's destroyed in the earthquake, and it's gone. And the fourth one will be the Millennial Temple. It'll be the most magnificent building that has ever been. And it will be exalted high in the mountains, above Jerusalem, probably a mile high or better. And you say, well, where do you get that? I get it from the prophets, and, and Zechariah also mentioned it. And we may go to that in just a little bit, and I'll show you some beautiful things. But... Let's talk about the description, the measurements of the temple. When you read and study what's in the temple, you will discover that there are some things missing in this temple compared to the other temples. There's some things missing. And it's important that you understand when you see these things missing, and you'll see this in chapter 41 of Ezekiel, what is missing inside the temple. Number one, there's no curtain there. No veil. No curtain in the temple. It's not there. Why? Because Jesus tore it in two and gave us access to God. So there's no curtain there. There's no silver or gold there. Why? Because Jesus is more precious than silver and gold. And David provided 4,000 tons of gold in his, but there's no gold in this other one. Why? Because Jesus is the beauty, not the gold and silver. And then there is no showbread. Why? Because Jesus is the bread. He's the bread of life. In this temple is no lampstand. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. In this temple is no Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because Jesus is the mercy seat. He's the forgiveness. He's the mercy seat. And this is just beautiful when you stop and think about the glory of the Lord. David talked about the coming glory. That's in Psalm 24, verse 7 through 10. Let's go to Psalm uh, 24, 7 through 10. David talks about this, Ezekiel 43, 1 through 5. 
And here's what David says. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Where's he coming in? To the east gate. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He's not coming back to die. He's coming back to conquer. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory is coming in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And that word Selah means you better think that over. You better think that, think that through. Now, uh, let's talk about the East Gate. Now, someone, you, you can try to say, well, you know, that's just symbolic. It's just, you know. Well, first of all, if you make this spiritual and symbolic, then you have to say Ezekiel was a false prophet. And there are people that say the last eight chapters of Ezekiel is not inspired. There are people who say Ezekiel's not really a true prophet. But if you were to do that and believe that, you've got to eliminate Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Joel, and many other prophets. Because they all say the same thing. And you'd have to eliminate King David. Ezekiel even mentioned the gate that Jesus would come through. I can't remember exactly the name of the guy, but the Muslims sealed up the east gate because they heard that Jesus was going to come through that gate. And they sealed up that gate. Uh, Salome, Solomon, something like that, I can't remember his name, but he was a Muslim leader. And he decided he would just concrete rock up the eastern gate because he knew the scriptures and he was going to make sure that Jesus don't come through the gate. So he just put some rock up there and cement and bar it shut. And then uh, uh, on top of that, he said, what I'll do is I'll, I'll make a Muslim cemetery in front of the gate because a priest won't walk through the dead. And so this will keep Jesus out as to think a cemetery and some rocks to keep our Messiah out. Religion can make you really, religion can make you really silly, make you really unlearned. And you know the truth is because religion can be so um, Childish because religion can be so um, unbelievable. Because re religion can be so, I know I'm not supposed to use this word, but stupid. That it turns off a lot of people. And because it turns, they, they get turned off because they think, well, it can't be true. And it makes people become narcissists, makes them become um, agnostic, makes them become atheist, makes them become, uh, you know, doubtful in the scriptures. But the Bible is full of integrity and truth. And that's what I'm trying to show you. It's full of integrity and truth. So the description of the temple, it's huge. Over a mile square, that's huge. Did you know one mile 
is from where you're sitting, if you came from Ozark, one mile from where you're sitting is the light up there. That's a big building. Four, three more different ways. I don't even know that we could make a building even with our technology that we have today that big. But I may know that Jesus just happens to be a really good carpenter. Amen? This happens to be incredible. And he is incredible. Let's look at the worship in the temple. Now, here's another snag that people have with the worship in the temple. The problem with people is they say, well, it can't be inspired. Because in the temple, they're going to be offering sacrifice. And someone says, oh, there's no way that Ezekiel can be inspired because they're going to offer animals in the millennium. Now, let, let's lay some things down right now. Let, let's read real quickly uh, verse 18 of chapter 43, uh, 19, 20, and 21. Then let's make some comment. Let's make some sense out of this. How I many would like to have some sense out of this? And he said unto me, Son of man, thus saith the Lord God, these are the ordinance of the altar in the day when you shall make it to offer burnt offerings thereon and to sprinkle blood thereon. And thou shalt give to the priests and the Levites and uh, that be of the seed of Zadok. And you know, Ezekiel even mentions which priests would, they would be, showing us that it is a literal temple. Now, we're not talking about New City Jerusalem. We're talking about a temple in the millennium. You say, well, I think it's the New City Jerusalem. Really? The New City Jerusalem is 1,500 miles square. So the math don't add up. It is the temple of Ezekiel in the millennium. And you'll pick priests, Levites, and there'll be Jews, actually, Jew, Jewish priests. What would the Gentiles be doing? You and I will be ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. We'll be taking care of business on the earth during the thousand-year reign. But there will be Jewish, born-again Jewish priests that will run the temple. And thou shalt take the blood thereof and put it on the four horns of, the, uh, of it and on the four corners uh, of the settle and upon the border around about it, and thus thou shalt cleanse and purge it. I'm about the horns of the altar here. Thou shalt take, verse 21, the bullock also the sin offering, and he shall burn it in the appointed place of the house without the sanctuary. Now immediately someone says, there ain't no way that that temple could be the temple in the millennial reign because Jesus Christ died for our sins. And you're absolutely correct about the fact Jesus Christ died for our sins. But the offerings in the in the Ezekiel temple is not for the forgiveness of man's sin. Not at all. And I'm going to lay two, two points on you because most people will say this is just a memorial offering. In other words, they just offer um, bullocks and, and sacrifices as a memorial. Uh, the, the Old Testament saints look to the cross. We look back to the cross. They look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. And they're saying now because people are going to be born in the millennium and there's going to be people who know nothing about Jesus Christ, the, the cross will kind of get buried and lost in the, 
in the mix and people will be born and they'll hear about this great hero in Jerusalem, but they don't, you know, they hear stories that Jesus died for them, but they don't really see it. So the shedding of the blood and the, and the uh, sacrifices are more like a memorial, not for their sins, but to point them to the cross who shed his blood, Jesus, for their sins. Now, that don't satisfy me enough. Does it satisfy you completely? It don't. Let me satisfy you. In the millennium, the curse will not totally be lifted. See, we make a mistake when we think the curse will be totally lifted in the millennium. It will not. The river that comes out flows down into the Dead Sea. It makes the Dead Sea life and, and fish and, and productive, but around the Dead Sea is still the marshy part and, and salty waters there and still be areas. That, and people will still die in the millennium. It'll be rare, but they, the death is the last thing to be destroyed. They'll still be doing crops. In fact, uh, uh, Zechariah says, you're going to come and worship every year the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And if you don't come, you won't get no rain on your place. So the millennium is not completely void of the curse. Not completely void of death. Not completely void. But it is like a garden. I mean, the river that comes out of, Saul, uh, out of Ezekiel's temple brings life everywhere. The, the, the river of life that flows out from under the throne of God and out from under the altar and gives life to the Dead Sea and life to the wilderness and life to the desert and it blooms and it becomes gorgeous. Yes, planet Earth will be incredible. And yes, planet Earth will have technology concerning medicine and technology concerning uh, technology that's beyond our comprehension. Yes, Jesus Christ will bring a more than a jet age. I don't know what you'd call it. More than a space age. He'll bring an age, a, a millennial age. It'll be a time of greatness, a time of glory. But the curse will still be here. Now, let me satisfy you because this satisfies me. And it takes a lot to satisfy me especially when I'm at a buffet. It takes a lot to satisfy me. But here's the deal. If the millennium is not totally void of the curse, then the land is still somewhat defiled. And so God comes to the temple and he says, I'm not coming until you offer sacrifice for the defilement of the land. It's not for salvation, for the defilement of the land, purging the land with blood. And so I believe it's God the Father that comes in that temple certain days. Did you know that temple is only open certain days? You can read this. I've been trying to get you to read the last 13 chapters. Did you know it's open on Saturday? It's not open on Sunday. It's open on Saturday. Why? Because it's a Jewish temple. It's not... The, the, the born-again church has the new city, Jerusalem. We'll be out working, doing business. But it'll be open on Saturday. It'll be open on some um, feast days, some uh, holy days, because it's a Jewish 
uh, inheritance on earth. And so I believe it'll be God the Father that comes to the temple, to the holiest. And there won't be a veil there because Jesus is that veil that was ripped so that we have access straight to the Father. I believe God the Father is the one that comes to the temple in his glory. And he won't come until there is sacrifice to sanctify and purge the land. Now that satisfies me. Along with a memorial and the purging of the land, that satisfies me. It maybe hadn't satisfied you yet, but that satisfies me. I can, I can live with that. I can understand that. And by the way, I've got to live with that anyway because it is what it is. Amen? Amen. So what's going to happen is there's going to be the land around. And I'm, I'm about done, but I, uh, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, chapter 45 through 48 talks about the land around the temple. And there'll be a water flow out from under the altar in the temple, in Ezekiel's temple, and that water will give life to every place it touches. Once again, a lot of theologians will try to say, this is the holy city, Jerusalem. Wrong. If it is, the measurements are really off. 1,500 miles off. And so there's going to be beauty in the land. And they'll come for the healing. The nations will come for advice from the King Jesus. Oh, let me go one more place. I, I, I was about done, and then I thought, well, you know, I don't, I mean, I give you enough reasons to hate me without skipping David. Somebody's been wanting to know about David. Let's go back and look at Ezekiel. I wrote it down here. Um, go to Isaiah 2.2. 2. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. That's probably not about David, but it is something that I need to mention. Isaiah 2.2. 2. And it came to pass the last day that the mountain, in the last day that the mountain, the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Yeah, okay. That's showing you that there'll be a topographical land change when Jesus comes down to the Mount of Olives. It's also mentioned in Zechariah chapter 14. Let me go to this other one. It's just hard to memorize everything. Amen? Let's look at, let's look at uh, where it talks about David. I wrote him down here. It's in Ezekiel. I wrote down here, David will reign. It's in Ezekiel 37, 24. Ezekiel 37, 24. Jesus will reign over Israel, but King David will be vice president. He'll be back given the permission to rule Jerusalem. Look at verse 24 of Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. See? David's dead at the time of this writing. But David, my servant, shall be king over them. And if you read the preceding verses, you'll see that it's end time. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgment and observe my statutes and do them. Jeremiah 30, verse 8 and 9. Go to Jeremiah 30, verse 8 and 9, and then we'll, we'll stop this. There's a lot of verses where David will rule. 
along with Jesus in the millennial kingdom. But verse Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 8 and 9. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off his, thy neck, and I will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. There you have the resurrection of David. You say, when is the resurrection of David? The resurrection of David will be when Jesus comes and separates the sheep from the goats in the judgment of the nations. Jewish people will be given in a general, it'll be a general resurrection. The Jews will be raised from the dead in that time frame when Jesus returns in the Ezekiel's temple. When he returns to rule and reign for a thousand years, that's when all the Old Testament saints show up in their resurrected bodies. And the ones that are living get to stay alive. And Gentiles and scattered people across the world, might, maybe a billion, maybe two billion people will still be here when Jesus Christ comes and they will live out their lives, at least the ones that King Jesus allows to stay. And the ones he don't allow to stay, they'll be thrown into the fire. That's in Matthew 25. Talked about that later. But you see, there's a lot of scriptures about David ruling, not just a few. And let me say real quick, let me say real quick, there's a difference between David and Jesus. David is different than Jesus, and Jesus is different than David. And if you get people that want to spiritualize this, they say, well, you know, really, David's just reigning in Jesus. When Jesus is here, David's just reigning in him. Well, tell that to David. God promised him. And if he's just going to reign, with, if he's just going to live in Jesus, can you reign as king in Jesus? Why get him out of bed? Hello? It's not in my notes, but you know, I really would like for you to go home scratching your head tonight. You say, well, you've already got that done. This is what's beautiful. When Jesus Christ returns to earth, he'll bring his church with him. The next great event on planet earth is the rapture of the church. We're going to be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. We're going to be with Jesus for seven years during the great tribulation. At that time, we're going to be married. We're going to be, we're going to be married to King Jesus. He's the, he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. Then after the marriage... We will return with Jesus in Revelation 19 at the end of the Great Tribulation. And we will come with him on white horses along with angels and other hosts of, as, as, as Enoch said, we'll return, 10,000 of the saints, and we'll come to earth and Jesus will do the fighting, we'll do the watching. You say, how do you know we'll do the watching? Unless you're married to Judy, the men usually do the watching. But, you know, that's, you know, that, no one on YouTube would get that. But anyway, but I get it and you get it. And, but, you know, they didn't send their women out to battle is what I'm trying to say. And so Jesus will conquer. 
He'll set up his kingdom. And he promised his church that they would rule and reign with him for 1,000 years. So the, the Jewish priests will run the temple. Many of them Jewish brethren will be busy with different jobs. We as church, we as the bride of Christ, some of us will be mayors, some of us will be governors, will rule in cities. Remember the parables? I'll make you ruler over many cities. And so we'll have cities we'll rule over. We'll be in our glorified body. So God, God will expect us to work day and night. I'm just teasing. But we could because we'll be in glorified bodies. The, the Jewish people will be in their bodies, whatever God chooses to give them, according to 1 Corinthians 15. He chooses what he wants. Some will be in earthly bodies. Some will be having babies. There'll be babies born during the millennium. Some will never know about the cross. That's why you have the sacrifices, the memorial, to point back as a memorial. And we'll rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. During that thousand years, when Jesus shows up, he's going to take the beast and the false prophet and cast them in the lake of fire. And the ones that are evil and wicked like the goats, they'll be cast in the lake of fire. But some of us, you know, we as Christians, we'll already be in a glorified body, and the saints, Old Testament saints will be there gathering. There'll be this wonderful Ezekiel temple, this millennial temple. We'll enjoy life, and while we're enjoying life, According to the 20th chapter of Revelation, the devil will be bound with a great chain, and for 1,000 years he'll be chained up and can't do anything. And we're going to be having what I call the honeymoon for the church. But before there's a honeymoon, what do we have? There's a wedding, and then what? There's a reception. There's a wedding, and then there's a great supper, a reception. That's why I believe the reception, the meal, the celebration, will not be in heaven. I believe we'll get married, we'll come to earth, Jesus will conquer, throw the devil in the, in the bottomless pit, he'll set up his kingdom, and then there'll be the great supper, and we will have our reception. And there at the table, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will sit there at the table with us as honored guests. By the way, that's Bible. Jesus said they would come from every direction of the planet to sit down with Abraham at that table. Just thought I'd give you something to scratch your head with. Now, it may not be, it may be that the meal will be in heaven. If it is, I'm going. It may be we'll be married in heaven, have a reception there. I'm not missing out on the mints and the peanuts and the punch. But I'm sure that heavenly punch will have a punch. And I'm sure that the peanuts and the mints will be incredible. And no, actually, it won't be that. It won't be that little fancy stuff. It'll be a big meal. We'll have a big meal. Amen. Well, glory. I might get it out of my system next Wednesday night. Might, might. But we'll try to tie up the loose ends next Wednesday night. And if you have questions, we'll try to answer them. But the millennial reign's exciting. And you can't avoid it. It's just there. 
The Lord's coming soon, and we're going to be with him. By the way, after the millennial and the devil is loose for a short time, there'll be that battle of Gog and Magog. The planet will be literally destroyed, destructed, melt with fervent heat. And then there'll be this great white throne judgment. Heaven and earth will flee it away. This is in chapter 20 and um, before chapter 21 22. Heaven and earth fled away. They'll judge, and whoever is not found written in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. This will be the great white throne judgment. Then after the great white throne judgment, we'll be in the safekeeping hand of God. God will melt the heavens and the earth. I think it'll be in that process anyway. And then he'll create a new heaven and a new earth. And the new earth won't have any curse. Nor will it have a sea. won't have oceans. You say, why does it not have a sea? Because God's making room for more people to inhabit the planet. So I don't believe in that. I believe it'll just be us and no more. Do you really think God's plan for Adam and Eve to be fruitful and replenish the earth was a bad plan? So there'll be no more sea, more room. Won't have need for the sun or the moon because the Lamb will be the light thereof, and the city of Jerusalem will be the purification system of the solar system. The water will come out of the holy city of Jerusalem, the new city of Jerusalem, and it will flow like, a, like flows of, of waterfalls greater than Niagara megatons over on all four sides of the city, and the water coming down will give lakes and streams and water to the earth. The circulation on the planet will be done through the holy city of Jerusalem, and all the nations of the earth will come because the healing of the leaves of the trees or for the healing of the nations. Be awesome. Be awesome. Stand with me. We're going to give an invitation. I know I stretched a little bit, but it's a good stretch. So, well, preacher, I don't agree with you. Wait till we get to Revelation chapter 22 and 20, uh, chapter 21 and 22. I was about to put a 23 in there. But anyway, chapter 21, chapter 22, and you're going to see that it is an absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. But let's remember that in that temple, there is no veil. Jesus has made access for all of us. I'm so glad I'm saved. So glad I'm going to heaven. So glad God's got a plan. I'm so glad that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Josh, go ahead.